Romans chapter number 15 is where we were last night. Romans 15 and verse number 30. We started this message last night and we talked about the different periods or seasons of life in a missionary's life. Um, there's six different areas. We covered three of them last night. I'm going to re review very, very briefly because I want to give plenty of time for these last three areas of life. But we all started last night in Romans 15 and verse number 30 where Paul laid out for us the importance of not just haphazardly throwing a prayer out there for the missionaries, but striving together. So it's verse number 30, excuse me, Romans chapter number 15. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Now, again, let's, let's think about this word strive. This is Tuesday night of the missions conference. Honestly, most of you have worked two full days this week, and tonight you're striving to stay alert. You're striving to stay awake. It was a, a striving um, a process for you even to determine you were going to be here on Tuesday night. I understand that. So you understand that striving idea. But when we go to the Lord in prayer for our missionaries that are the church supports and the ones that send you prayer letters on a regular basis and, and updates maybe through social media or through email, when you're sitting down and you're thinking about those missionaries and you're praying for them by name, what is going on in their life that I can pray specifically about? Now, let's just be honest. Sometimes you read those prayer letters and you have no idea what the names are in that prayer letter. Because the missionary's taking the time to learn the language. If you read Brother Abraham's prayer letter, he's going to put some names in that prayer letter and you're not going to have a clue how to say that name. It's like reading the begats back in the Old Testament, amen? And uh, you just kind of skip over. God knows who all those people are. God bless the missionaries and moving on. You know, I tell missionaries all the time, make sure you write it out in a way that we can read it. Write it, you know, put it in parentheses, how you can say it phonetically, so that at least I can pretend that I know how to say that name. And then I'll pray specifically for that person. So last night, help me out now, let's do a little bit of review. We started all the way over here, and we talked about the first season of life for the missionary. Somebody tell me what that was. Yeah, you can just say it out loud, that's okay. Deputation. Now, there were three things about deputation that we talked about, and they all began with an S, and it wasn't soup, salad, and sour treats, okay? Uh, so what was the first S, anybody? Safety. What are we praying for safety in as they travel? Okay, we talked about not only safety, but while they're traveling, we're praying for sanity. Now, it's mostly for the parents, not the children, right? I didn't tell this last night, but when we, would, when we started and our kids were so small, they had this great little invention called the TV VCR combo. Anybody remember that? You guys that are younger than 30, you don't even know what a VCR is. But, you know, back in those days, it was a little 9-inch, and we put that between the seats in the van, and we'd have a 12-hour drive, and my kids would say, Daddy, how far is it? And I'd say, six movies. You pick three, you pick three, and it'll be a great day. Amen. So you got that settled, though, because my kids argued about things. I know yours never did, but mine did. You know, it's my turn to pick a movie. Now, let's just settle it right now. Amen. So we prayed for safety, sanity, and then the third S, support, because ultimately we want them to arrive on the field in a timely manner. The second area of life that we talked about last night, who can help me with that? Learning the language, that's exactly right. Why is that? Because we want to be able to communicate with the people that God's called us to in their heart language. 
My wife and I visited a Chinese restaurant in Costa Rica one time. And uh, you say, you're a brave person. You're right. It was not a good decision. Because we went in, and we don't speak Chinese. So Spanish, we were still learning Spanish. And the dear young Chinese woman that worked at the restaurant barely spoke Spanish. So when she went back into the kitchen, we had no idea what she was going to bring to us in a few minutes. Uh, the idea is you want to learn the language so that you can communicate with them. Charades only work so far. And if you want to know a good charade story, you should talk to my wife about it later. And uh, <laughs> she's covering her face because it's about her. But anyway, you can ask her later. You get good at charades. Why? Just because you're trying to communicate. Everything within you is wanting to get to a place where you can communicate the gospel. And then the third area that we moved into last night really coincides and happens at the same time as learning the language. But you begin to deal with, what is it? Culture, cultural adaptation. That's where culture hits you right in the forehead and you didn't see it coming. It's where you go, wow, these people are different. You know, when my wife from Michigan married that Tennessee boy and she went to our family reunion, she went, oh my word, what have I gotten into? And then I went to Michigan and I went, I have messed up. I love her, but these are some weird people up here. But, you know, you freeze them six months out of the year, they're going to be a little bit weird, amen, when you pull them out of the freezer, but... You're dealing with those cultural issues. Now tonight I want to get into three other areas that really happen, some of, some of the time they can happen simultaneously. And when you get to this fourth one that I'm going to spend a few minutes on tonight, again, we're striving together in prayer for our missionaries. This is one that I believe oftentimes is overlooked. And it has to do with the education of the missionaries' children. And it's one of those things that we know they have kids, and we know the kids are learning the language, but... Really, we don't tend to consider that when they surrender to missions, it's a family commitment. You know, the six-year-old that's going to the mission field doesn't have a vote. You know what I mean? They're going with their parents. And then suddenly, now this, this child is, is in a situation where they're dealing with a difference in language. They're dealing with a difference in culture. And now, maybe they've been in a school all their life, and now suddenly they're, they're brought into a homeschool setting. Or maybe they've been homeschooling the whole time they were on deputation, and now they're put in a school environment. And they're dealing with the culture, they're dealing with the language, and they may struggle with it. A couple of things I want you to think about here. Let's just take the scenario that um, the missionary decides we're going to homeschool our children. And we did this when we were on the mission field. Now, I didn't take education classes when I was in Bible college. It, it really wasn't a thought for me. Uh, my wife really focused on it when she realized I'm going to the mission field and the responsibility of educating my children will probably fall on me. She took that responsibility very seriously. So we began to educate our children at home. But let me give you a, a couple of thoughts here. How many of you are parents tonight? Okay. Here's the reason why I ask you this. Do you realize that your children do not learn the same way? They're not identical? The truth is, here's, here's what I want you to think about. Not every child is a good student. Amen, Brother Brandon? He and I have a lot in common. I, I, I confessed my faults last night. Tonight I'm going to confess his. So, uh, so not every child is a good student. And listen, not every parent is a good teacher. 
But now it's fallen squarely in their lap that it's their responsibility. And here's what happens to missionaries, and this is why I think it's so important that you pray for them. Because I don't know a missionary mom who's trying to do her best in the education of her children that does not feel insecure in the education of her children. Now, this is what I mean. When you're in school in the States, you go through testing, achievement testings, you do all kinds of things along the way just to make sure that your child is progressing at a, at a normal pace so that one day when they graduate from high school, and we would expect them to graduate from high school, if they decide to go to college or into any other kind of field, that they're prepared, that their education is adequate for them to do exactly what God's called them to do. Now, I do believe that as, as believers, sometimes we have an expectation that a missionary's children are automatically going to be called into ministry. And that's a pressure that they do not deserve. We need to understand that uh, their children may have no more call on their life into full-time ministry than your children. And so we need to understand that even though they may have grown up in the ministry with their parents and have grown up on the mission field, it might be true that that young man or that young lady desires when they graduate from high school to come back to the United States and go into an institution of higher learning and maybe they want to be a lawyer. Now, I don't understand that, but they may want to. And the truth is the parent understands that, hey, if that's what God wants them to do, I want them to succeed and I want to do my absolute best in their education. Now, here's another thing about this. When the children do leave the mission field and come back to the States, that is one of the most difficult seasons of a missionary's life. Because they've been together in service, in ministry for so long, and now that child is stepping out, and it's, it's twofold. It's a difficult time of life for the parent but I want you to think about it from the child's perspective when they come back having always been around family and now they're back in what might not even be their normal environment or it may not even feel like their home country because they've grown up the majority of their life overseas. They come back to the United States and they don't mean it in a bad way, but we act weird. They come back to the States and it's referred to as reverse culture shock. They come back to Tennessee, and Tennesseans don't finish all of their words. They don't even move their mouth all the time. They say words like Ewans. I can say that around here, and you know what I'm talking about. But you say that, and they look at you and go, Ewans? It's kind of like my, when my wife said, I don't know them from Sikkim. And you go, Sikkim? What in the world are you talking about? Some of the men were talking about that outside tonight. They go, Sikkim? That's what you say to that dog. I said, I've been telling them that for 28 years, and they still say it. So when these missionary kids come back, they may struggle. But now they're struggling, and where's mom and dad? Mom and dad's still on the mission field. And they feel alone, and they feel isolated. I'm telling you these things tonight because I want you to understand, one day you're going to read uh, Brother Lane's prayer letter, and even though his children are older when they're growing up, there's going to be a time when they make a decision to follow the Lord, and they come back, and maybe they come back to the States, maybe they stay on the field, whatever. But when you read and you say, Wow, Dakota's coming back to the States. Now, you know his plans to go and serve with him for a while, but if he comes back to the States, I want you to see, when you read that prayer letter, I want you to understand, Miss Kathy needs some prayer. She might still have two more at home, but I'm telling you, she needs prayer. As much as she trusts him, 
She's going to wonder, what is he doing? Who is he talking to? What is he eating? Is he taking care of himself? Are his pants hemmed? All the things that moms think about. She's going to have, I'm picking on her, and I'm sorry I'm doing that, but I'll pick on Miss Chris, okay? This is what would be going through my wife's mind. She did that when our son went to California. I wonder what he ate today. I wonder if his bed was made. All those things that moms you think about. They're doing that from the other country. And I bring all of this to your attention because they're just normal people. The missionary wife is mom. She's a wife. He's a dad. Their kids are just kids. They might be fine young men and young women, but I want you to understand that bond, that relationship is still there. And when they're, when they're transitioning through these series of, or seasons of life, I want you to understand that's an, a, a perfect time for you to zoom in on that particular need as you strive together with them in prayers to God for them. Let me tell you, when you communicate with a missionary who is going through that particular series of life where they're, they're hoping their kids do well on their ACT or their SATs, and they're hoping that they, they get that scholarship into college because they've been putting all their money in the ministry. They don't have a college fund, but they want them to get the best education. You read that and you say, God, meet that need. Or the Holy Spirit of God says, hey, I'd like to do something special for them. Or you meet one of these young men or young women that come back to go to school and you happen to see them. Maybe they come to your hometown and they're going to school in your hometown and you go, I want to be a blessing to them. I'm going to bring them to my house and give them a meal. I'm going to let them do laundry at my house. Their family is 2,000 miles away or 7,000 miles away I'm going to do what I can to be a blessing and a help to them that's where we take in this understanding and we apply it in our lives and it's a game changer when you read a missionary prayer letter when you pay attention to these details and the only way you can pay attention to it is when it's been brought to your attention and you know to look for it so we started all the way over here remember this what did we start with deputation then we moved to language now we're dealing with culture now we've gone over here and what are we doing education of our children you guys are a great class i'm not even writing it on the board you're doing great now this fifth area that i want to talk about tonight is something called spiritual oppression spiritual oppression now it takes a little bit let me explain it a little bit this is when all of these things come together the stresses of deputation and the support and the sanity and the car breaking down and the frustrations with the language and having un choque con el cultura, because I can only think of it in Spanish. Train wreck and, wow, I can't even, I can't even translate it now. You're having trouble, trouble with the culture and, and, oh my word, is he ever going to get these multiplication tables and you're dealing with that? And then they, they go to church and suddenly the church is... Things aren't going just as smoothly and people aren't being saved and the Catholic priest has just assigned a decree and turned the whole neighborhood against them and now the, the neighborhood's riding against the missionary because they don't want them in town. And all, this thing, all these things come together at one time and they get to a place where the weight is almost unbearable. And we call that spiritual oppression. Now you don't have to be overseas for this to happen. I was just in a church last week in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, where the day that we got there, the pastor was telling us about some things that were going on in the church. It wasn't problems, it was just 
people dying, people having surgery, this one going in the hospital, and this one just got orders to another base, and all of these things happened the week of missions conference. So during the missions conference, the church had a funeral. And the pastor hadn't been there very long, and he told me about the funeral. And I said, are you doing the ceremony? And he said, no. He said, uh, his former pastor's coming back to do the ceremony. So the next day, they kept the missionaries away from the church because all the funeral was going on. They fed us in another place, and the pastor was there for lunch. And I could tell he was in a hurry, and I said, are you headed back to the funeral? He said, yeah. And when I was there a few minutes ago, they handed me the, the program, and it said that I'm preaching the funeral. So, I mean... Suddenly the weight and the burden of the funeral, which can be a blessing, but it is a difficult thing as a pastor to minister to all the family. That weight was on him, and I'm telling you, the weight of the missions conference. So this can happen anywhere. It can happen in your life. But I just want you to understand, when the missionary is on the field, and you're, you're waiting to read that prayer letter about all the wonderful things that are going on on the mission field, there's going to be some time that you're going to read a prayer letter and it's just not going to seem as wonderful as you thought it would be. Now, how many of you get up every single day and you have a perfect day? If you're here, I want to shake your hand, then I'm going to get you to sign my Bible. Why? Because life happens to all of us. And what we depend on is the power of the Holy Spirit to get us through those dark and difficult times. The time where it, I mean, you're dealing with this brother and he's dealing with 135 ethnic groups and every one of those ethnic groups has a different approach to outsiders and their language and their culture. And uh, suddenly the Buddhist uh, monks and the priests are applying pressure on the people of the village to, to run you out. And you're there because God called you to be there. But suddenly there's opposition. And, and let me remind you, the opposition is not the people. The people are not the enemy. The people are the ones that God called you there to reach. The enemy has already been defeated, hallelujah. But he's alive and well when it comes to opposing what we're trying to do around the world. So when you go to those missionary prayer letters and you're reading them, and you must understand it, man, there's going to be some days that it's difficult. I wish I had time to tell you a story tonight about, and, and I'll just give you the highlights, but we had been in the country about three months, and we had, had our first uh, national pastor over to visit with us, and we had finished dinner, we were going out the door, and waiting outside of our door were three masked men, and they wanted to rob our family. They wanted in the house, and, and the M.O. was they would come in, they would tie you up, and they would steal everything you had, and they would leave. Sometimes they would uh, do violence on the family, sometimes they did not. But when I opened the door, there was a thirty-eight right there in my forehead. And in the process of all of this happening, and it happens like this, our little three-year-old girl, Katie, had run out between our legs and was outside, and we didn't know it. And the guys had grabbed her. As my wife grabbed all the kids, our kids, and, and the missionary, or the uh, national pastor's kids, and took them in the back room, when she came back, she peeked out the door. I'm holding the door, and they're yelling and screaming outside. She peeks out the window, and there's our three-year-old girl with a knife to her throat. And they're saying, let us in, or we're going to kill the girl. Here's, what, here's the, what I want to get across to you. There'll come a time in most missionaries' life where the very people that God has called them to minister to will betray them. And what I mean is it's a, it's a time where the culture betrays them. 
And that is one of the most defining moments in the missionary's life. And this is what I mean, because they'll say, I didn't know it was going to be like this. I expected the Venezuelan people to meet us at the airport with banners and flags and away. Welcome, baggots! We're all here to be saved. But it wasn't that way. Suddenly, three of the men from our neighborhood threatened to do harm to my three-year-old little girl. Now, let me tell you, what that brought up in me was emotions that I did not know I was capable of. I'm not proud of the emotions I had. I struggle with the emotions that I had. I was ready to meet violence with violence. They were only that tall, so it would have been pretty easy. But I would have willfully done harm to those three men because of what they did to my daughter. But God prevented that from happening. Now, the long part of that story, let's jump forward two weeks. My wife and I, I had some conversations with God that I'd, I'd love to tell you about. But let me tell you, God ministered to my wife and I over the next three days in a way that I really can't even describe to prove to us that He was in control and that He knew who we were. And He reminded me that, Brian, you can't protect that three-year-old girl. I don't care how big you are and how tough you are. You can't protect her, but I can, and she belongs to me. That's a tough job for a dad to learn. When I still think about those little yellow shorts with the flowers on and the little coral top and her pigtails standing out there in the bushes when they let her go, when I finally got my arms wrapped around her and brought her back into safety, let me tell you, that, that'll always be in my mind. But that night I was ready to leave Venezuela, but God said, no, 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 no. Number one, he said, you're broke. You can't go anywhere. He was right. But I was like, I'll call home, and they'll buy our plane tickets, and we'll be out of here. And God just very purposely made sure our phones didn't work for three days. Couldn't call anybody and tell anybody, complain to anybody. But by the end of that three days, God had settled my heart and settled my soul that we were exactly where we needed to be. He had taken care and protected my little girl. And then two weeks later, in our little fledgling church plant just up the street from our house, two of those three men, I knew who they were at that point, two of those three men walked into our service on a Sunday morning. Now, I have to admit, I struggled with those emotions I struggled with the night that it happened. I knew who they were. But when they walked into our church that day, they were broken. They were overwhelmed with guilt about what they had done to that three-year-old girl. And they were coming into our church begging for forgiveness and asking, can God forgive me for what we've done? And two of those three men got saved that morning, two weeks after that attack. I tell you that because I want you to see something for a moment. Oftentimes we think about why is this bad thing happening to me? But here's what happened in that scenario with my family. God took us to a place where there was a lesson that we had to learn in order to minister in Venezuela. And he brought us to that point and he very graciously and tenderly taught us that he's in control. 
And he is our strength and he is our fortress. He is our protector. And he got us through that and he rekindled our faith and he strengthened our faith. And in the same scenario, he took two out of these three men who had done violence against my family and he brought them to the point where they were so low and they were so overwhelmed with guilt because of the, how low they had come in their life and in their criminal activity that he brought them to a place of brokenness where only God could save them. Now, I would never wish that on anybody, but I can stand here today and tell you I'm thankful that it happened because William and Paolo one day will be in heaven. And they may never have been that low and that guilt-stricken as they were that day that they did that to my daughter. And we've all lived through it, but it was a difficult day. Again, the spiritual oppression is when the culmination of all of these events come and there's a heaviness and a weightedness that no missionary ever expects. But God can get them through. But for you to send them an email or a text message or something, when God brings them to mind, it's on purpose. Have you ever had that thought, why am I thinking about Doug Cook? You know why you're thinking about Doug Cook? Because the Holy Spirit wants you to pray for him. Holy Spirit wants you thinking about him. Uh, when you think about your pastor or Miss Ann, God brings him to your mind out of the blue in the middle of the night. Don't call him, number one. Amen, Brother Wally? Don't, don't call him, but just say, Lord, I don't know why you're bringing him to mind, but I'm going to pray for him. You woke me up specifically and brought them to mind. I'm going to pray for him. Do the same thing with your missionaries. Now, I want to give you one other thing tonight, and then we're going to close. And my time is gone. This last thing, and I really would like to spend a few more moments on this, but it's something that we often see in missionaries uh, that have been on the field for some time. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, age is the problem, but sometimes it's the constant stress and toil on the body of where God's called them to be, but it brings them to a place where they're having medical needs that can no longer be met on the field. And oftentimes it's something that will ultimately bring them back to the United States. The reason I say this is because uh, we were talking, I think it was with the Browns tonight, they were talking about folks that have been over in the, the desert region working with the nomads. Brother Wally was telling me about this, where there was a 100-degree fluctuation in the temperature every day. And over a number of years, it took a toil on these missionaries' lives, and they had to leave that area. I'm saying this because when you know a missionary is dealing with medical needs, let me tell you, they're facing a spiritual battle like they've never faced before. Because for the first time, for many of them, they're facing the idea of, I may not be able to stay. When missionaries go to the field, their idea is, I want to stay here as long as I'm able to stay here. And Lord, let it be until Jesus comes. And when the thought finally hits them that that may not happen and I may have to leave this place that I've poured my life and my heart into and raised my family here, let me tell you, it's one of the most difficult seasons of life in a missionary's life when they have to pack their bags and say goodbye to the people that they've learned to love and they have to walk away. I'll never forget when we came out of Venezuela after five years, there were some folks that met us at the airport and our family that were like, we're so glad you're out of that place because they hadn't gotten over the situation with our daughter Katie. But when we got off the plane, we were broken. We were heartbroken because I had a 10-year plan and I was only five years into it. 
I had a 20-year vision for what God was going to do in the jungle. I was only five years into it, and suddenly I'm back in the United States, and I have no vision. We didn't come home for medical reasons, but it was the death of a vision for us. And oftentimes, the medical reasons why folks have to leave the field and come home, they're coming home and their spirit is crushed. And when we walk in and, 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 and you don't know what to say, you know, the one thing you can say to them is, I love you. I love you. And I'm excited about what might, God might do in your life now. Let them know God's not finished with you. So I bring all these things to your mind tonight and last night because I believe that when you read these prayer letters and you invest not only your finances in them, but you strive together in your prayers to God for them, it's going to change you in the way that you view missionaries. So let's go over it one more time. The first one, deputation. All right, now, which missionaries are with me tonight are on deputation? Raise your hand. All right, you see those hands? All right, you know how to pray for them, right? Okay. If somebody wants to donate an 8-inch VCR combo to the lanes, I'm sure they'd be happy to do it. But they'd probably require you to give them some VCR tapes to go with it because they don't have any, I would imagine. All right, we go from deputation. We go to, what is it next? Language. We know that we have to pray for Brother Brandon when he goes to language school. Amen? Because he's going to meet Maruha. You remember her? Yeah, she's a blessing. All right. So when they finish with that, they're going to begin to deal with the culture. And that will begin almost simultaneously with the language. Over here, we started tonight. They're going to deal with education of their children. I didn't say this earlier, but if you homeschool your kids and God's gifted you in that, and you understand resources and uh, all the different things that homeschool moms tend to think about. Dads only think about recess, amen, and, and PE. But if, if you have a gift in that, watch for a missionary that maybe uh, is maybe dealing with an issue or you're reading a prayer letter. They're asking specific prayer for a child that's struggling in math and that's your strong suit. Offer your services to be a help and a blessing to them. Don't force yourself on them but offer yourself to them to be a help and a blessing. Or maybe you can just simply say, I understand what you're going through, and I'm praying for you. All right? So then we finish with the education of the children. We also talked about, what is it? Spiritual oppression. Just pray that God would encourage them in the Lord. What this dear brother is doing here and what he's doing with the Bible college and the conferences and really what we're doing also is encouraging missionaries that are going through difficult times and teaching them, hey, we've been there. We know what you're talking about. God will get you through. So pray for them. And then the last thing that we talked about, and what is that? Medical issues. So tonight as we close, I want to read this verse one more time. I want you to read it out loud with me. Verse number 30, Romans 15. Read with me as I read it aloud. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Lord, we come to you tonight and we simply want to say thank you. Lord, uh, there's things that we will thank you for in the days, months, and years ahead that we haven't even thought of yet. There are scenarios that we will go through in our life. There are difficulties that we will face, whether we're overseas or whether we live here. 
Lord, and we trust you to be there. Lord, we want to be faithful. We do not want to fail. We do not want to quit. But Lord, we want to accomplish all that you have for us to accomplish in our life and so much more. Lord, may you get the honor and the glory for anything that is done in our lives. And Lord, we're just grateful that you've counted us worthy putting us in the ministry. 